one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, commentator for BT Sport this week in Singapore. That's where I'm coming from right now. Also work for BBC Radio 5 Live, joined, of course, by Catherine Whittaker, who has just hot-footed it back from Vienna, where she was uh, attending tie-break 10s, the tournament, uh, the Erstbank Open 500 is just about to start as well with Andy Murray in action and Dominic Team and so forth. And uh, Catherine and I are here to talk to you all on the Tennis Podcast. Catherine, how are you doing? It's three in the morning here. <laughs> it's three in the morning and yet you are about ten times as energetic as I am at, at 7.52pm uh, on a Monday evening. Yes, you are a marvel, David. But yes, I've, been, I've spent my day hot-footing. I had Wiener schnitzel for breakfast at Vienna Airport this morning, so I think it's safe to say oh, that I've, nice. I've had the Austrian experience and uh, saw Jamie Murray on on the plane. I was just uh, shuffling right to the back of the plane where my uh, very glamorous seat was and uh, saw Jamie Murray sat there and I thought, it's Monday morning, what? <laughs> he can't have lost already. Had a quick uh, check of my app to check that, you know, something, you know they hadn't... I don't know, scheduled some first round doubles matches for the Sunday or something that that escaped my notice. But no, he hadn't lost. And uh, I asked him what he was doing on the plane because I'd seen him in uh, the stadium in Vienna the day before on Sunday yesterday. And he said he was flying back for the day to collect his OBE. And he has to fly back to Vienna tomorrow evening. He said the, the tournament couldn't guarantee him which day he'd be playing. They could guarantee that he wouldn't be playing on the Tuesday, which was the day he was actually collecting the OBE, will be the day he's collecting it, uh, but that he would have to be there for the Monday, be there on Sunday uh, when the order of play came out on Monday, just on the off chance that he was playing, which he then wasn't. So he now knows he's not playing till Wednesday, but he's got to fly back collect the blooming OBE, middle-class problems, first-world problems, and then fly back to Vienna tomorrow night. Middle-class? I, I mean, we're, we're first-world and middle-class. First, I, I, mean, I think what I mean is first, pri- privileged problems to have. He, he was by no means complaining. He said uh, it's a bit of a strange schedule. Can but, we call it world-class um, achieving, brilliant, um, uh, deserving winner problems? Yes. Yes, if we want to be, you know completely facetious yes we can <laughs> excellent i do i definitely want to be completely facetious that's my <laughs> you definitely that's, that's do, my, David. Uh, that's my standard default mode so i'm quite happy to be in that mode <laughs> yeah. uh well i'm i mean i can see i can see that it, it is irritating and i have to say the next time i'm going back for my obe i'm not going to be happy about having to oh it'll be a knighthood yeah. david it'll be a knighthood and whatever tournament you're in i'm sure they will uh Give me base a their schedule around for commentary yeah I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about it one bit. Oh, thanks. Brilliant. Uh, now, Catherine, uh, 
Good anecdote, by the way. Um, <laughs> I am, uh, as I said, in Singapore, where we've just had the first two days of the WTA finals. And uh, my goodness, we've had some good matches already. Three of them have gone the distance. And uh, we've had two today that, put it this way, you, you know you know what this is like, Catherine, when you're, when you're in responsible for doing the, the flash interview at the end of matches and you kind of go to the position where you have to do them about three games before what you think might be the end of the match and and in the match that I was doing that for which was Muguruza against Pliskova I, I went there thinking it was the end of the match three different times and ended, <laughs> ended up having to completely change my plans I mean we, we ended up to just let you know what's happened so far we we started day one with a pretty a pretty straightforward and rather dull match between Madison Keys and Simona Halep. Halep winning comfortably in straight sets. Keys, frankly, we'll be hearing from her later on the tennis podcast. She sounded pretty nervous and and not that surprising, really, that she struggled in her first match. That's why round robin is quite good, I suppose. Uh, Halep was fantastic. Kerber against Sybil Kova was one of the matches of the year. Both players hitting way more winners than unforced errors. Eventually, Kerber managed to win through. Today, we've had uh, the first match of the day. I was commentating on that one, which was Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's come flying in from Moscow with hardly any preparation, somehow defeating the defending champion, Agnieszka Radvanska, having saved a match point, and more of that later, because Kuznetsova's behaviour on the court was bizarre. Uh, and then we've uh, had uh, Pliskova coming back from four love in the decider against Garbinia Muguruza to win through 7-5. Uh, so it's been eventful, and... Um, I have to say, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've never been to Singapore before. I've never been to the WCA finals, and, and it's, it's really been great, the atmosphere here. Yeah, well, we, we were texting about when we could record the podcast, and you said, uh, I'm, I've just got to interview uh, Muguruza first. And at that point, she was 5-4 up and about to serve for the match, and it very much like very much looked like you were going to be interviewing Garbini Muguruza. And uh, you didn't, did you? You interviewed Karolina Pliskova. And you got a smile out of her, David. Is that is that accurate? You got a laugh, a smile, just a smile. Well, I thought it was one anyway, and I certainly am immensely proud. And the reason I got got that laugh and smile is because uh, I asked Pliskova about her next opponent, which is Svetlana Kuznetsova, and about and this was on BT Sport. I asked her about the fact that you know she was waiting around for three hours. Did she see any of the match while she was in the locker room? And most specifically, did she see Svetlana Kuznetsova? cut her own hair off during the match because that's exactly what Kuznetsova did. She got annoyed by her ponytail swishing around and hitting her in the face when she hit her forehand. So she took a pair of scissors and she started hacking chunks of hair off her own head mid-match. I mean, it was an amazing moment. And uh, Pliskova had clearly seen this on Twitter herself and, and uh, I asked her whether she would ever consider her doing the same thing. And she said, um, no, she would never do that. That's why she has her hair in a bun, Svetlana. I think it's fair to say just I mean, it sounds like cracking interview, David, but uh, just for future, I think it's fair to say that 99.99% of people that you ask that question to will say, no, I've never considered doing that. But interestingly, uh, she had the scissors in her bag. So it's not standard practice, I don't think, to walk onto court with the scissors in your tennis bag. So it must have had a certain degree of premeditation to it, or at least it had crossed her mind that the sheer weight of her plaited ponytail could possibly be an issue, and she might need to be prepared for for the scenario of needing to lessen that weight. I don't. I don't know. I would. I would love to dig deep into the mind of Svetlana Kuznetsova at that moment. Scissors do have another purpose though you know i mean they're, they're not just for haircutting are they so maybe she was using them for something else yeah maybe she needed to score some sausages or something i don't know yeah maybe um but what do you uh what do you think <laughs> that's, where were my, the... <laughs> that's my primary use for scissors that's what has right. been revealed about me on this tennis podcast <laughs> i see i see now catherine the um the the, the 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 hair chopping off episode though uh, have you ever seen that before there are two other occasions that we reckon it has happened can you name them on a tennis court oh yes 
didn't Andy Murray do it? He started hacking away at his fringe or something. Um, Correct. That's one. Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely can't think of a, a second one. No, there's I not. Say, yeah. I, I don't have a. F- Fi- the filing cabinet of sort of tennis incidents in my brain isn't arranged according to sort of hair chopping off. Maybe it should be in future. Maybe this is going to be a new trend. Could you should be- definitely have an index card for it so that you can do one of those sort things by hair chopping. Sounds like the sort of thing Nick Kyrgios might do. No. So I'll guess Kyrgios, but he's not got that much hair. Has Oh, no, I think he takes his hair far too seriously. To- I take it all back. No, no, no. Um, who? Come on. Kyrgios wasn't even alive when it happened. In fact, you were only two uh, because it was Boris Becker in 1988 in the Wimbledon semi-final against Ivan Lendl. That information, courtesy of Barry Flatman from The Times, who if you're waiting at a bus stop with at 2 a.m., you can find some interesting information out, as I did there. Apparently so. Yeah, so there we are. Boris Becker, Andy Murray and Svetlana Kuznetsova. That is an answer to a pub quiz uh, trivia moment on the last time and the only times. The most niche pub quiz ever <laughs> to be staged. Yes. If you know a pub quiz which uh, which has those kind of questions, do let me know where it is because I would like to go. Yes, uh, absolutely. Now, tomorrow's uh, action starts with uh, Simona Halep. Uh, up against Angelique Kerber. That could be a corker of a match. Those two in great form at the moment. And then Sybil Cover against Madison Keys, all on BT Sport 1 tomorrow if you're in the UK. Um, and uh, well worth tuning in for. Uh, we've had Martina Navratilova with us tonight. That was good fun. Incidentally, on Svetlana Kuznetsova, I know that I've just been bragging about the quality of my interview with uh, Karolina Pliskova. Can I just uh, hold my hand up and say that I did possibly one of the worst interviews in my career uh, with Svetlana Kuznetsova yesterday? It actually it resulted in quite a, quite a good answer that we ran and, and had a bit of a laugh about because Kuznetsova got the hump with me. She wasn't very happy with my question at all. Uh, did, you, that I, did, you, did you give her a pole vault? <laughs> um, oh, I wish I had. Uh, no, I didn't <laughs> give her a pole vault, actually. I, I, I tried to ask her. My, the idea behind my thinking was to ask her about the fairness of the fact that the the way things have worked out is that she's come in with with hardly any notice uh, and and hardly any time to prepare and is playing the tour finals and then you've got Joe Conta in the outfit with the others on the photo shoot you know effectively feeling like a spare part because she doesn't even know if she's in it or not and i tried to ask her about the fairness of that i didn't phrase it particularly well what she ended up thinking I was saying is that you nasty Svetlana Kuznetsova, you've knocked our Joe Conter out. Is that fair, what you've done? <laughs> I didn't quite phrase it like that, but that's how she took it. And she said, don't blame me. It's not my fault. I was just trying to get through to the finals. I mean, you're talking to me as though it's my fault. Anyway, so it wasn't, it wasn't but, exactly a career highlight. But that in itself is very insightful, isn't it? She, she, that was obviously her response to all of that internally, you know, feel it, feeling like she had deprived poor Joe Conter, the com- the um, the most improved player of the year, of her rightful place in the uh, in the WTA finals at the eleventh hour, which of course is absolutely not the case at all, because Netsova earned that place fair and square. It was an unfortunate set of circumstances for sure that they need an extra uh, I think a lot of people would question the decision to include Conta in that draw ceremony and um, photo shoot, etc. Luckily, Photoshop is a wonderful thing and she has been airbrushed out of the official uh, photo that was done on the eve of the tournament, which is marvellous. Um but yeah, I, I, it, it, it was awkward. It was really, really awkward. And I don't know what the answer is. It, it's a very tricky situation having Moscow finish on the eve of, of the WTA finals. Look, it made it, it brilliantly exciting. There's no, the answer there's is no very doubting that. The answer is very simple in my view. And that's the fact that it, that, that should have been a day that should have been 100% celebration. Okay, dif- disappointment for the player who doesn't get in. But... It should be about what an amazing story Svetlana Kuznetsova has 
caused by by overturning the deficit and, and getting through. Now, of course, that was one of the storylines from it all, and so was her race to get here and to play. And, and I mean, look, she's managed to win as well, which is, which is fantastic. But what should be happening is there should be a week between Moscow and this, so, and there should be nothing for a week, so that you have that, that big race for the finish line, and then everybody has a week to get ready for the tour finals and do their photo shoots and do some publicity. That's what should be happening, which is what happens on the ATP circuit these days. Yep. I don't think anyone's arguing with that, David, and it'll be interesting to see what does happen. I mean, we know how desperately long it takes to make any kind of schedule changes in the world of tennis, so I wouldn't expect, you know, anything earth-shattering to happen, but I certainly think it'll be looked at because, you know, the the... The, the situation, the flaws in the current situation were were deeply exposed by the scenario that played out, as I say, exciting, but but definitely awkward. was indeed. Now, Catherine, we're going to hear from some of the players that I've been speaking to for BT Sport. They've kindly let us have the audio from the interviews we did on the eve of the tournament, uh, the WTA finals here. Um, let's start with Angelique Kerber, because, I mean, she is the favorite in many eyes I and mean, she's the, the world number one and what really struck me Catherine I don't know how much how many dealings you've had with her uh, at the Australian Open and so forth and the US Open as part, part of the Eurosport team it really struck me with when she walked into the room how confident she is in herself now there's no there's no nervousness about the situation of being the player everybody's looking at she just looks like she belongs what's your experience very similar bit. Uh, it, it somehow um, striking that perfect balance between having the com- confidence um, and and owning. Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen her since the U.S. Open, which of course is where she became world number one. But she looked so so at ease with being a Grand Slam champion at the U.S. Open. It was definitely a different demeanor. Um, to what I saw from her. I didn't have much to do with her at, at Wimbledon where she obviously reached the final, but um, certainly a different demeanour to, to the French Open, which was a bit of a disaster for her. Um, and, you know, she she certainly didn't look timid or lacking in confidence, but she equally, you know, didn't have the strut of a Garbina Magarutha or, or something like that. But she has a very... Um, very confident demeanor without being in any way assuming she's completely unassuming somehow completely natural it seems to me you know i mentioned i think on the podcast that after she won uh that final in new york she um she invited all the german eurosport uh, guys out to celebrate with her because she's got such a great relationship with them and uh They've followed her so closely and, and have been so invested in her progress. She felt like they deserved to be a part of the celebrations. And I thought that was um, a really nice, really nice touch. And, uh, yeah, I've always been very won over by her. Oh, that's a, a very nice story. I hadn't heard that one before, I don't think. Angelique Kerber, let's hear from her. Australian was always, for me, the first one. And the, this emotion I will never forget, but um, a lot of following after with the Wimbledon, with New York, with the Olympics, the number one. So a lot of amazing um, moments that I have this year, and I will never forget 2016 in my life. And it's not over yet. It's not over yet, that's true. Now, looking at the, the players that you're going to be playing this mm-hmm. week, I was looking at your head-to-heads against them. Many of them are really close. Mm-hmm. Five wins, six losses against Radvanska, mm-hmm. four and four against Sibylkova. These are players you were at the same level as for many, for many years. How have you done this? I don't know. I mean... Um... First of all, everybody who was here really deserved. I mean, they have all of them a great year as well. So I think it um, doesn't matter against who I'm playing here. It will be tough matches, but um, this is what is good for this tournament, that to have the best players in the world. But for me, I don't know. I think um, I had so many experience from the last few years. I had really close matches, and I was trying to um, transcend Translate, translate, transfer, transfer, transfer this um, to the matches, and uh, that was actually the goal also for this year to playing a lot of good matches and uh, winning a few tournaments. I mean, um, I was not expecting that this will be two Grand Slams, but um, yeah, it's. I think it was just the experience from all the years. Everything came together this year. Now, your coach, Torben Belts, would be, I imagine, a big part of of everything that has happened to you over the last year or so. I was listening to an interview with him. 
in which he said, when you were young, you didn't work very hard. I find that hard to believe, but, but I mean, is, is that true? I mean, is that, this, is that a learning process that you have to get used to? That's true. I mean, when I was young, I was really um, not the fittest player, and that's changed in the last few years. I mean, I learned a lot, and I learned that you have to really have the confidence to go on court and know that uh, you can run forever for three hours and you will be not tired. So this was a really long process for me, but, um, yeah, he was right that when we start, really really years ago um, I was not moving so good like today (laughs) (laughs) but you are now just occurs to me sitting here how comfortable you now seem in these surroundings talking to to people in interviews cameras however many interviews you're having to do I I remember a, a few years ago seeing you in a situation doing a much lower profile interview and, and, and it wasn't something necessarily that you seemed to find that easy. Is, is that something that you now enjoy? I really enjoy it right now and I think that was also a process. I mean, a few years ago it was... Um a little bit tough for me to sitting here relaxing talking to you guys but now I'm really feeling uh, confident I know how what to expect I know what I would like to say and um, yeah that changed as well um, in my career and um, as a person for me is there anything you don't like about being world number one? <laughs> Not yet. I don't know. Um, of course, you have much more things to do. This is uh, your schedule is much more tighter than a um, year ago here. But um, this is, of course, what I try to enjoy, and I really like this part of, um, yeah, of being number one right now. <laughs> well, long may it continue. All the best for the week. Thank you. <laughs> So that's Angelique Kerber, who plays Simona Halep on day three of the WTA finals in 2016. Now, Halep, we'll hear from her as well, because I was very interested to find out from her about the impact of Darren Cahill. Yeah, as we know, Australians are very relaxed. Um, They are very nice people, and uh, I enjoy a lot now um, relaxing myself uh, during the days. Uh, I learned this from, uh, from Darren. Um, I enjoy more uh, going out in the evening just uh, for dinners. Uh, I enjoy more to visit some things uh, in the city that I go. I enjoy more uh, the time on court. I'm not taking uh, in my mind just the result. I'm taking just to improve in, into myself, improve into my game and uh, just um, being happy that I'm doing what I love. And, and you would put Darren's influence as, as part of that? Yeah, a lot, because uh, our Romanian mentality is a little bit uh, different because uh, we are very, like, we panic very fast and uh, we are a little bit negative person, but now I'm going to the other way to be more positive. So there's Simone Halep. I find it absolutely fascinating, Catherine, to hear Halep talk about the panic that she feels sometimes on a tennis court and how... Darren Cahill is able to just calm her down with his with his strict, simple Aussiness in many ways. And and uh, but I can imagine that. I mean, I, I know Darren Cahill a little bit. I've interviewed him a number of times, and he's very easy to sort of feel soothed by in the presence of him. I think we've seen that before, haven't we? That I mean, you get coaching coaching relationships which are all about sort of a meshing of of personalities and a matching of personalities. You know, Grigor Dimitrov and and Danny Valverdu at the moment strikes me of one of, as one of those, you know, he just wants somebody that is sort of a friend as well as a coach and someone that can put his arm around him that he just feels brilliant in, in the company of. Um, but, and I'm not saying Halep and uh, Cahill is a contrast to that in any way. I suspect they do get on very well and she's very likable and uh, easygoing and he seems that to the extreme, but he's bringing something which she doesn't have and it seems to be belief and calmness uh, and it's very very interesting and I, I suspect that calmness leads in to the belief which is I think at the end of the day the most significant single factor for Simona Halep does she believe that she is a Grand Slam champion in waiting because she ought to because she really should be you know winning WTA finals and winning Grand Slams sooner rather than later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Madison Keys is making her debut here this time uh, at uh, the finals in Singapore. And Keys is somebody I, I hadn't met before. And, and she came into the room and, and you, you said unassuming. Now, that, that really does describe her. She wandered and looked as though she might have got lost. You know, there was no minder with her. There was no sort of ceremony of walking in and announcing her presence. She just sort of appeared in the room. And it, we almost thought... She, she he wasn't dressed as she normally would be, and I, I would barely recognised her. And then suddenly realised, oh, hello, <laughs> uh, you're here to be interviewed, aren't you? And uh, she sat down, very, very nice to talk to, very open. And uh, here's a, a little bit of what she had to say. I think the biggest thing is that I've been just a lot more consistent, um, which was a huge goal of mine last year, and I wasn't quite able to do it. And then this year, it's been you know, kind of the number one thing on my goal list. And I've been really, really proud of myself to be able to push myself in practice so that it translates over onto the court. And have you had to just sort of slightly play within yourself a little bit more because you hit the ball so hard? Is it hard not to just hit it as hard as you can all the time? Yeah, that's definitely been something that I've had to work on backing off at the right times and not going for something when it's not there and you know my first instinct is to kind of just hit harder and harder and harder so having to change that and play smarter has been a big thing for me over the last couple of years there's been a lot of expectation around you i've heard some seriously big names say that you could go all the way all the way to the top what is that like for you? Do, you? do you have to block that out? I think you hear it and you take that as a compliment and you know all of these people have done it and they think that I can as well. So that just helps motivate you. But also not listening to it too much um, and just really focusing on how I feel and you know, just believing in myself. And, you know, going out and doing everything that I can to get better every day. And Catherine, I, I found it really interesting that she she's fully aware of how hard she hits the ball and how much of a challenge it is going to be for her to harness that and not overdo it and find the right times. I mean, it, it's 
probably going to be something that plagues her throughout her whole career, that balance. Yeah, well, look at uh, Petra Kvitova and her struggle to find that balance on her day when those shots are going in. She's she's unplayable. We've, we've, we've talked about that very, very recently. Uh, you know, when she made her charge, it was it was a possibility that that she could get into the WTA finals, um, but obviously that didn't happen. But when it goes wrong, the the percentage, the the margin for error is so low that it it goes very bad badly wrong. It, it's like it all malfunctions, and and she knows that's her game. She's never going to be able to completely subvert that and make herself, you know, a Simona Halep or a a Caroline Wozniacki. But it, it's about managing that style of play and, and mitigating the weaknesses and, and, I don't know, trying, I guess, to develop a plan B when, you know, the the hard-hitting perhaps isn't quite working out. But as you say, she seems to be completely... She's very switched on, isn't she? she I think she knows herself. She knows her game. And um, I, I, have, I have belief that she... I think there will be bad days. I think there'll be horror show days. But I'm pretty confident that she'll have enough very, very good days. I agree. And actually, the, the, the stride she's made this year to get into the world's top 10 to qualify for Singapore, you don't do that with just a couple of spectacular results. You have to keep producing. She's done it on clay to reach the final of the French Open. And I think that she will go all the way eventually and 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 top the sport um how long for i'm not sure but she clearly really wants it that much is clear and and actually thomas hogstead i think is is a, a good type of coach for her somebody who's a bit of a taskmaster not too pally with her uh, i i think that i think that that's the sort of thing that she will need now garbini magarutha is somebody who already has scaled the very heights hasn't she with winning the french open but she hasn't done an awful lot else this year we talked about how she'd let this this position go against pliskova today four low up in the final set ended up losing and she is really an enigma is garbini magarutha to me in many ways and i spoke to her about that issue of consistency and, and how much it bothers her I think I think my style of game, my personality, my I don't know, my tennis is not that consistent maybe, but I'm not sure that's also the best for my my game. You know, there are certain players that they rather win tournaments, three, four tournaments in a whole year or even less than maybe be every week on semifinals. So I'm not sure how my game is I'm trying to find it yet. So for now, for now I'm good. <laughs> I bet that helps, though, in a way that you can appreciate that, that you understand that, that when you go into big matches that you don't worry about maybe having had a bad week the week before, Mm -hmm. so that you come here to the WTA finals and it's a a new start, clean slate. I try to have a clean start every tournament because it's new hope, new tournament, kind of new mindset. So I, I come here at Singapore and I'm thinking about my first match, I'm playing against an opponent. What do I have to do to try to, to win that match? And nothing really else. Just just that physically good also. So I think that's the perfect starting point. Can I ask uh, just a little bit what it is like being out on the court in, in the moment, in the battle? And we have on-court coaching. We see little mm-hmm. moments of, of what it must be like, the pressures, the tensions, the stress that you are under. I mean, you, you know, you seem so relaxed talking to you now away from the court. What is it like getting on the court and having all of this going on? Mm. Well, there's a, there's a new person when you're in, in the court, you know, because you're competing, you are in a, in a stress situation, and you have a camera in your face all the time. So there are certain moments where you can be, you know, a little bit upset or super happy or emotional, just just emotional. And there's always somebody like here. So they can see everything a little bit. So sometimes it's hard to, to manage all this. I just try to be natural on the court. Sometimes I could look like very happy, sometimes not happy at all. But I just try to be natural on myself there. But generally do you feel that you, you can win this tournament? I always feel I can win the tournament I go to play. I always feel like I'm, I'm one of the, the players that can hold a trophy. That's, that's what I have to believe, and I really think so. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put all my chances in my hand. She doesn't worry about much, does she, Muguruza? She, she has, or at least, at least she sounds as if she has total belief in herself at all times, Catherine. That's certainly always 
my impression of her for sure. I mean, she has this poise. She has this strut that I I mentioned earlier. Um, I don't think she's worried. I I think I think she sees it as perhaps you know a natural blip that she's going through at the moment. There are plenty of other people that have that have had a similar blip after winning their first Grand Slam. Even this year, I referenced you know Angelique Kerber. Okay, Muguruza is lasting an awful lot longer, but. I, I, unless she's a fantastic actress. And I actually, I mean, I do think there's an element of that. I think, you know, that, that poise, duh, I get the impression that poise masks a lot because, again, I'm, I'm, rehashing, I'm rehashing anecdotes here, but I remember being with her after that win she had over Serena uh, two years ago at the French Open, which was her announcement onto the stage. And she wasn't a different person. I still see that young young girl you know with the light bright lights dazzling her eyes in that big press conference room I still see that person in her but it's hidden away there's definitely a shell there now a shell which is what we all see most of the time it sounds like you got under her skin a little bit more than she usually lets people in but she's very much in control she gives you exactly what she wants to give you and I do think she's developed you know a little bit of that well what so many of the top players have it Maria Sharapova is a master at it isn't she Serena Williams she only gives you what she wants to give you she's you know she's every inch the uh, the Grand Slam champion in um, in terms of her game and her demeanor but um, yeah she she she's an enigma she is she's she's interesting I, I very rarely feel like i fully understand her or can relate to her perhaps she she certainly carries herself with great confidence and uh, i found her quite charming but clearly somebody who who had total control of the situation she was only going to answer questions the way she wanted to i wasn't going to be able to push her into areas or discomfort in the interview at all not that I was necessarily trying to but I just found it interesting that she controls the agenda of what she speaks about yes I think that was perhaps the point I was trying to make but you made it a lot more pithily David well done awesome (laughs) so so Catherine tiebreak tens is what you've been uh, covering over the last uh, few days tell us all about it what was it like it is uh it was very interesting indeed. Obviously, to fill anyone in that doesn't know, uh, it was a field of uh, Goran Ivanovic, Andy Murray and Marcus Willis. They were in one group. And Dominic Team, Tommy Haas and Joe Wilfred Songa, who were in another group. The semi-finalists were Murray and Ivanovic, who incidentally had a cracking match in their group stage. First to, first to ten point tie breaks, all the matches. And, uh, I mean... Perhaps, perhaps Goran knew deep down that he wasn't going to win it, but he really did give uh, Murray a run for his money. Certainly uh, for the first uh, for the first few points, and uh, that was cracking. And uh, Team and Songa came through from the other group, and it ended up being a Team Murray final. And Dominic Team played the tiebreak of his life. Uh, he he stunned Andy Murray. I think he won the first four points. I think he went four love up. Um, utterly sensational tennis. Really went for it. Looked like he couldn't miss. Andy Murray looked pretty hacked off. Uh, to be honest, of course, it's a winner-take-all um, tournament. $250,000 prize. And for Andy Murray, that's worth, uh, that's worth an awful lot more than it was last December when the... Uh, Last tiebreak tens tournament took place, and he also lost in the final to Kyle Edmund. Thank you, Brexit. Um, so yeah, it was extremely interesting. Andy Murray was not pleased to lose it. Dominic Team was delighted to win it. He said that his friends and family will be receiving very nice Christmas presents this year. He also said he'd be giving some of the money to charity. He's a very charming young man, Dominic Team. He's perhaps not Mr. Charisma. But in a very likable way, you know, he's just, he seems like he's completely unaffected by his status in the game. And, you know, he's he's David Beckham in Austria. He's the man. And, uh, you know, he still walks around, is polite to everybody. 
um he's very earnest you know he doesn't make an awful lot of jokes certainly not publicly but really likable obviously the backhand when that's in full flow it's a joy and uh yeah it was very interesting in many ways goran was the star of the show in when as he so often is i really think andy murray enjoyed that match he played against goran and i think he watched enjoyed watching Goran play his other matches. It was great to see Marcus Willis play Goran. I think he got a bit starstruck and uh, struggled a bit to perform. It was very, very interesting that one. Marcus Willis had had Goran as his uh, childhood idol growing up. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. But he seemed annoyed to lose that. I went over and tried to get a quick interview him afterwards. And I said, oh, you know, Marcus, how was it playing uh, your childhood idol, expecting to get some um, really touching comments? And he said, well, I lost, so not great. And uh, that, <laughs> that was Hence that. what, hence what we're, not, we're not going to play that one on the tennis podcast because <laughs> no. that one doesn't sound like it's gold already. Uh, <laughs> but if you do want to hear Marcus Willis, two weeks ago, we did half an hour with him, so have a listen to that instead. Uh, now... The, um, the the one thing I did think, the same way as in the final in the Royal Albert Hall event, was you had a, a different atmosphere altogether in the final, didn't you? When, when that money was on the line and when it was the sort of the young kid against this world number two. Um, and team's game is so explosive. There are not many players who can make Andy Murray basically redundant in rallies. Even as fast as he is, even as good as his defense is, he can hit through Murray. Maybe he can only do it for a short period of time. But team has got to be one of the most explosive players in the world right now. Absolutely. And and, and some of the things that struck me were his serve. He's definitely got extra muscle on that serve. You know, he's not a huge guy. He's got a sort of a, a more slight frame than certainly than than Andy Murray. It, it's all it all comes from timing, like on that backhand. Uh, and there's there was real muscle on that serve. He was really going for it, and he made Andy Murray look a bit impotent. Really, there he was scampering around at the back of the court. Could you know was was struggling to get a racket on the ball. Certainly, you know for the first five or six points of that tie break. When he's on Dominic team, he. <laughs> I'm using the phrase, he's almost unplayable. I mean, and if he can get anywhere near that kind of form and um, sort out his schedule, I won't bang on about it in detail again, but sort out the schedule, I mean, he should be contending at the very least at the French Open. I know he loves to play on clay, but I don't see why he can't contend on hard courts as well. And who knows about grass in the future. I think he's got some learning to do on grass, but he is so exciting, so exciting. If only he wasn't a Chelsea fan. Yeah, you can't have everything, can you? Um, I heard during the commentary, uh, Mars McLagan was on commentary. One slight counterpoint he put to the playing too much argument. He said that the view of team's coach, Gunter Bresnik, was play one year like this, play everything and you will give yourself a base to be able to to handle pretty much anything. And you can play less next year, but your body will and your mind will be used to it. Okay. I mean, in principle, that sounds okay. But number one, he did it last year as well. And number two, as I say, he signed up for Brisbane and Sydney. So it looks like he's intending to carry on with it next year. So nice try, Miles. <laughs> but I need some more evidence to Catherine be convinced Whittaker. that that's not, what he's at playing not, at. Not won over by that argument, Miles. Sorry. Uh, um, mm. Right now, Andy I'd love Murray. to be. I'd love to be. I'd love to think that was the plan, and I hope it is. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm skeptical. The the Brisbane and Sydney thing really worries me. I really, I really don't want him to do that. I don't. Unless you know, if, unless he crashes out first round of Brisbane and you know, then takes a wild card into Sydney. I certainly understand the wisdom of that. Um, and, you know, Sydney's a great event. It's nothing to do with that. But there's a reason why the generally the guys that win the Grand Slams don't play the week before a slam. They just don't. And he needs to be seeing himself in that bracket. Catherine Whittaker here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you by The Telegraph. Now, Andy Murray <laughs> is going for number one in the world. He can do it in the next 14 days. He can be number one in the world. If he were to win Vienna and to win Paris and Novak Djokovic doesn't get to the final of Paris. Catherine got 
one of the funniest interviews I've ever heard with him. Uh, uh, and here's why. Listen to this. Yeah, I think it's good fun. I think in this situation it works great as well with the tournament just around the corner. You have all the players here. The players are motivated to get you know good good practice in. So you know the, the quality of the tennis tonight maybe at the beginning wasn't so good. I think it improved as it went on a bit, and you know the players want to play well. You know some guys might have matches tomorrow. Um, so I think in this this situation I think it works well and. You know, I don't know how it's been received on the, on the TV but, and by the fans, but they, they seem to enjoy it here, and it's good. And finally, you're sticking around again to play the tournament this week, Paris next week. Everyone knows what's on the line for you at the end of the year. Are you motivated to go for that number one ranking? My goal is to try and win the tournament this week and then reassess after this week's done and, you know, take it from there. I can't look too far ahead. I need to win pretty much every match I play between now and the end of the year, so... If I start getting them ahead of myself, then, you know, that's not going to work. So try my best to, to win my matches here and then reassess after that. But it's been a good few months and I'll try to keep it going here. So best of luck. Thank Thanks. you, Andy. Celebrate good times. Come on, David. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if he gets to number one in the world, Catherine, he will be celebrating. So uh, well done on uh, choosing the song to go with the interview. <laughs> Andy Murray, as you, heard, as you maybe just about could pick out from that audio, uh, isn't having any of Catherine's narrative of, uh, oh, isn't it exciting how you're going for world number one? Because uh, Andy Murray's just going to take it one match at a time. And if he gets to number one, it's great. To be fair, it was, a, it was definitely a different answer to the one he gave in Shanghai, uh, which is obviously the last time um, last time we saw him on the tour when he said, I hadn't really thought about doing it this year. It was my goal to do it for next year. Um, and, you know, perhaps I'll have to think about it and reassess. He certainly, has, he's obviously readjusted his thinking somewhat um, and is thinking about the possibility at least of doing it this year, which we know he wasn't two or three weeks ago. So, okay, yes. He's a professional. He, you know, he very wisely is playing down expectations because, frankly, it is, for me, still unlikely that he'll do it this year. Um, Not massively unlikely, but unlikely, I think. So I certainly think he's right to do that. But I do think it's in his mind as a more pressing possibility uh, than, than it was two or three weeks ago. And again... Rightly so, because it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all anymore that we have we have the uh, you know the mathematical equations don't we we know exactly what needs to happen and uh, could happen could happen and and also there's the the fact that it's not all within his control if it was just win Vienna and Paris in your world number one. That's a very different scenario to win Vienna and Paris and also hope that the world number one doesn't reach the final you know when it's not in your control what what can you what can you say really so i think it was understandable but good 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 soundtrack pole vault catherine <laughs> oh gosh do you want uh, some really good news yeah that we're not doing pole vault correct because we're we really not no wow this week we're doing, do come we're doing a special feature this week Hashtag Tennis Podcast Pets. Uh, it's a very visual pe- feature for a podcast, this though, David. How's this going to work? How's this going to work? All we're going to do is we're just going to point out everybody. Go to Twitter. Go to at Tennis Podcast. It's been the best week ever on Tennis Podcast Twitter. I have been beside myself. Why, t- let's just explain why. why. Why? Why are we doing hashtag Tennis Podcast Pets, Catherine? Uh, well, I don't know. You started it. I'm, I don't, okay, well, don't I'll tell you why. Much, did, very supportive. Keep out but... of it. Right. Well, okay. anyway, the reason we're doing it is because uh, uh, basically every week on the podcast, as anybody who listens to this regularly will know, we, we, we get gate crashed by however men, many members of your animal family that you you decide to have in the house at any one time who was it last week it was evie and Ginny. what was the other one Ginny, Ginny, and, Ro- and Ginny. i don't know where rosie's gone rosie was turfed out last week uh there's a, there's another one isn't there rosie's very threatened there's there's bella all oh, right okay so that's i'm not four, sure bella has ever guested on on the tennis podcast but you know but she's with she's us in the this queue. week <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so there are no pets on the show this week? No, I f- feel bad for Bella now. I'll find a way for Bella to get on. She I has will. been in touch, actually, and she has um, said she feels 
pretty pretty left out. Actually, um, my um, on on the tennis podcast Facebook page, uh, which you which you can go to and check out all the uh, fabulous content we put on there. Uh, one of I think the photo that we posted of Rosie a couple of weeks ago with posing with her tennis ball uh, was responded to by my auntie um, who Bella lives with uh, with a photo of Bella showing her approval. So uh, if, you know, if, if anybody is for some crazy reason particularly interested in my uh, pet entourage, then, <laughs> then Bella is available uh, to view on the Tennis Podcast Facebook page. Okay, anyway, so but basically because of all this, I, I decided to start the hashtag Tennis Podcast Pets and get people to send in pictures of their Tennis Podcast Pets, people that like the show, whose pets listen to the show, who watch tennis in their spare time, and people have been inundating us with pictures of their cats watching Mardi Fish on the television. Uh, we've got, um, we've got a, a ferret somebody sent in uh, that is a, a regular tennis podcast listener. I love uh, the do, ferret. Do have a look. Yeah, do, do have a look. There is, uh, there, there, there's Charlie, there's Kip and Juno, there's, uh, um, there's one named after Andy Murray, there Lola is a and Tess. Harvey. Oh dear! There's so many of them that, that have there's been coming flooding Sim into us. And Nim, a cat. Uh, who else yeah, have we got? We've, we've we had turkeys. Uh, we're turkeys from a, a colleague of ours, Sarah Willen, and I. And I'm led to believe that one of those turkeys is ill. So, uh, and yeah, oh so just. <laughs> We so what we did is we, we gave we, tennis podcast pets casualty, but we oh wish we me. wish that turkey all the best. Well, yeah, indeed. Now, now that she's been or he been name checked on the show, uh, no doubt that'll be the tonic required for a full recovery. Quite. Uh, so do te- do send us pictures of your tennis podcast pets on Twitter at tennis podcast. Catherine, I think that's about all for now, isn't it? Unless we want to do more tennis podcast pets, I mean, I'll um, I'll stay recording all night just to talk about the pets. But as as perhaps more it's of three, a visual, it's more yeah. of a visual feature. Okay, okay. Three thirty a.m. I think I've just about had enough. So thank you all for listening to us here on the show. Uh, I should say as well that three thirty a.m. is is a sign of great dedication. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, I'm quite proud of myself for, for managing to record it. What day is it? I have no idea. But anyway. Well, it's a we'll different day for you than it is for me. It is, isn't it? We'll speak to you soon.